0: Well, my name is uh, Pastor Scott Nice, and I bring you greetings and salutations from the Church of Jesus Christ in Telford, Pennsylvania. Uh, We send you warm Christian greetings. We come from Pennsylvania Dutch country. You know, ever hear that expression? We're not quite out where the Amish are in Lancaster County, but uh, we are up in the the northeast corner of Montgomery County. And I did bring um, some Pennsylvania Dutch culture with me. I brought a shoe fly pie and a funny cake. Have you ever heard of that? You know what that is? Well, I'm sad to say the youth fellowship just scarfed it up as soon as I got here. So uh, they'll have to tell you what how it was and if they enjoyed it or not. They probably saved you a couple thousand calories. Um, I do uh, want to just quickly introduce myself. Uh, I have a A wife that will be celebrating with me our 25th wedding anniversary come November. Uh, We've been blessed with four children, Timothy, Hannah, uh, Levi, and and Thomas. And uh, I can't tell you just how uh, grateful I am to the Lord for them. Um, They're really super. Um, Pray for my wife. She's married to me. It's no easy task, I assure you. Um, But I could go on and on about them, as well as my church. The saints at Christ Reformed Church are loving people. They're warm, they're gracious, they're outgoing. Um, They're a real blessing, not just to me and my family, uh, but our community. Um, And you know why I love to talk about them? It's because I love my family, and I love my family of families, the Church of Jesus Christ at Indian Creek. And you know what? I want you to know, and I'm sure you do, that your pastor, Joe Marlin, loves you, and I know he loves you, because, like, I like to talk about my family, and I like to talk about my church family. Joe loves to talk about all of you, and whenever we uh, talk on the telly or we get together, um, he's just bringing up the work that the Lord is doing in and through you, the body of Christ, right here in Gloucester City. Gloucester City? Gloucester. Gloucester City. Thank you very much. Uh, I met Joe about three years ago at the uh, Four C's Annual Family Gathering in Pittsburgh. That's way out on the western end of the state. And I like the way he tells the story. Uh, it was his first time to a Four Seas gathering. And uh, I was in the lobby just hanging out. And uh, I saw him come in through the lobby doors, and he always says, oh, Pastor Scott, he just sought me out and greeted me and made me feel welcome, and I did. But let me tell you my side of the story. I did that because he just looked totally lost. It was like, boy, this guy needs some help finding his way around. But when I saw Joe, the first impression I had was, I just want to give that dude a hug. I just want to walk up and give that man a hug, and, you know, that's just who he is. So I think it's really, really cool that Joe has this opportunity uh, to take a sabbatical. Uh, Can I just tell you uh, what a blessing that is to Joe and and especially his family and for you guys to to let him go for three months to be able to recharge his batteries, uh, spend some quality time with his family, um, and grow closer to the Lord. Man, you guys have blessed the socks off. And I know he really appreciates that. Well, it's really good to be with you here today. And uh, what I want to speak to you about specifically is the Imago Dei. Ever hear that expression? The Imago Dei is the image of God. Who am I? Who am I as God has created me? And who am I as a member of his household of faith? It's one of the four great philosophical questions. You're probably familiar with them. The fourth one is, who am I? That question reminds me of a humorous story. Uh, about, I don't know, 12 years ago when I began uh, my ministry at Christ Reformed Church, one of the first things I did was to go out and to call on or visit all the shut-ins. Uh, the shut-ins uh, who are homebound or... In the nursing home, we have several nursing homes in our community. And I went out uh, to personally introduce myself and and greet them and get to know them. Well, at the Telford Lutheran community, um, I went to call on one of our parishioners. And I was dressed sort of like this, you know, wearing the the collar and carrying my Bible. And I went up to the nurse's station and I asked, I said, can you please point out to me so-and-so? And I said, oh, yeah, she's sitting right over there in the wheelchair. So I said, okay. So I walked over right up to her, and she picked up her head and looked at me. And dressed as I was, carrying a Bible, I thought it might be obvious, but I greeted her with these words. Ma'am, do you know who I am? And you know what she said? She said, I have no idea, Sonny. But if you go over to the nurse's station, they can usually tell you who you are. Now, it is a sad reality as we get older, we tend to lose our memory. We might even forget who we are. But it is also true that as Christian men and women, we also need to be reminded from time to time who we are. What's our identity? Who we are as men and women, the apex of God's creation. As well as who we are in this sense. Perhaps better stated, whose we are. Who do we belong to as adopted sons and daughters of the king? Therefore, tonight, we're going to be reminded. What is man, or mankind, or humanity? And more specifically, for us, the Church of Jesus Christ... We're going to answer the question, whose am I? So let's begin. As members of the human race, who am I? Well, the psalmist inquires in a similar way in Psalm 8:4: is man that you are mindful of him? Everyone is who God created them to be. Every man or woman is made in the image of God. We call that the Imago Dei. The Bible reveals that only mankind, only humanity, was created in the express image of the Creator. Now, what does it exactly mean to be created in the image of God? Well, what's an image? It's like a shadow or an outline, right? It's a likeness. It means a resemblance to Therefore, image or likeness is is virtually synonymous. They're interchangeable words. To be made in God's likeness or image implies that we bear a resemblance to him. We call these resemblances the four aspects of personhood. Every person, every human being, every one of you, regardless of sex, age, nationality, creed, or personality, Now, it's true. Some of you have more personality than others, but that's a different subject altogether. So what what is it that we possess uniquely with God? We possess passions and desires. You know, God has long, deep desires. He's a passionate God. And it's not the base passions that we sometimes think of. You know, whether that's water, food, shelter, or sex. We have those passions as well. But beyond that, we possess, like God, deeper longings. For instance, in Hosea 11.8, we read, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adam? How can I treat you like Zebulun? My heart recoils. It recoils in me. My compassion grows warm and tender. That's how God feels about us. That's how he feels about his redeemed, his chosen, his called out ones. He loves us with those deep feelings. And he demonstrates those in the way that he treats us. And uniquely, we possess that as well. There's also intelligence. God's an intelligent being. So are we. He has the ability to think, to reason, to evaluate. We're endowed with those same intellectual abilities. You know, Adam had the power to reason, to think, and he demonstrated that when God called forth all the animals in the garden. And he named them with words. And then there's our will or volition God exercises his will. He makes his own choices. As human beings, we're characterized by the ability to make choices. What's your favorite ice cream? Go ahead, anyone. Mint chocolate chip, birthday cake, cake, vanilla. Yeah, we choose the things we like. We also perhaps choose to remain single or to get married. Ephesians 1 says it like this. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity in all things in heaven, on earth, under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will." God has plans and purposes. Adam had the choice, which includes using his intellect, his emotion, his self-conscience, his self-determination. We share those things as well. And finally, God has feelings and emotions. You know, man was made in God's image with feelings. A couple examples from Scripture. We think of Jesus. God incarnate, right? God in the flesh. God dwelling with us. Remember when he paid a visit to Bethany, the city of Mary and Martha? And remember how Martha ran out to greet him? Why? Because his dear friend Lazarus had passed away. And remember Jesus' response? Jesus wept. And remember how his disciples replied? They said, see how he loved him. Jesus also demonstrated another passion you're probably familiar with, and that was in the, uh, the court of the Gentiles when he came uh, to visit his father in the temple. And remember, there were money changers there. They turned the father's house into a den of robbers. What did Jesus do? He flipped them tables over. He grabbed a couple cords and made a whip, and he changed chase those money lenders out. And it recalled to his disciples Psalm 69, 9 zeal for your house will consume me. So yes, God has feelings. He expresses his emotions. And of course, he always does this perfectly, which is something that we cannot say for ourselves. Ever since the fall, all of our being all of our faculties has come under the tainting influences of sin everything from our mind our will our emotions our feelings everything has been stained by sin one does not need to read the newspaper or the current news cycle to see this demonstrated all we need to do is examine our own hearts to see that this is true. Yet despite our fallenness, we still are image bearers, created in God's likeness. The implications? By all of mankind, male, female, Jew, Gentile, rich or poor, old or young, in the womb, outside of the womb, regardless of your social, class, culture, the color of your skin. Everyone, everyone is worthy of dignity and respect and appreciation. Why? Because they have the indelible imprint of the creator on them. But some may say, well, pastor, not all people are Christians. This is true. But that does not detract from the image of God in them. There is a distinction, though, between God's chosen people and the rest of humanity. So for the rest of our time, let's just look at our identity in Christ as the family of families of Jesus Christ, as those who have been adopted out of one family into God's eternal family. Let's look at who we are in Christ. Paul says in Galatians 3.26 that we are all members of God's family. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through what? Through faith. Paul, of course, is writing to the church in Galatia as well as to all members of the family, even here today. Now, the way anyone becomes a member of God's household is by legal adoption. Now, the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines adoption as so. Adoption is an act of God's free grace, unmerited, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges as true sons. Legally speaking, an adopted child is a true son or daughter. He or she has the same rights and privileges as the natural born child. Paul reasoned with the church in Rome when he wrote that we are all heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, you know, a good father gives everything he is and everything he has to his children. That's what a good dad does. God, who has the most to give, is the best father of all. Thus, there's no higher status that you and I can achieve than to be called a son or a daughter of the most high God. The way to gain this high status is simply through faith, through trust in the one that God sent, Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Apostle John says something similar, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Adoption, interestingly enough, shows the contrast between what we call faith and works in a very vivid way. The highest position that one can achieve by works, by working in a household, is what? A servant. A servant may live with the family. servant may do the family's laundry, cook the family's meals clean the family's house, servant could do all of these things for many years, even decades, without ever becoming a member of the family. They're just always kind of on the peripheral, on the outside. In such a case, the only way to become a son or a daughter is through the process of adoption. Now, this can be granted only by the will of the father. It can never be gained by the works of the servant. And when it comes to God's family, the father is willing to adopt anyone who believes in his only begotten son. So let me ask you, what is your relationship to God? If you are a Christian, then you are one of his adopted children, son or daughter, There is one obvious effect of this family relationship. Everyone who belongs to God belongs to everyone else who belongs to God. I I love the way you look at your church as a family, the family of families of Jesus Christ here at Epiphany Church. All of God's sons and daughters are brothers and sisters in Christ. The result is that all of our human distinctions lose their significance. Listen to verse 28 from Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In the family, no one is superior to anyone else. No one ranks higher, not because of ethnicity, not because of their sex or status in society. However, elsewhere Paul did make it plain that there is something in the family as well as in the family of families that should be noted. That there is the headship of the man over that of the woman, both again in the family as well as in the church. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says this. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So what is this? There, it's, a, it's a subject or topic I, I'm sure uh, Joe's mentioned or caught on before. We call that complementarianism. Are you familiar with that, and then egalitarianism? When I teach on this, I want to keep it simple. Joe will pick it up later and, and press it home. Let me just ask you a couple questions. Are God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, equally God? Yes or no? Yes, amen. Did God the Son submit his will to the will of his Father? Yes. Did God the Son's submission to the Father's will subtract in any way from his divinity? Absolutely not. Submission does not imply inferiority. I don't know what the world teaches, but in the church, submission is a good thing. It's actually what Jesus did. Especially when our submission is in accord with God's revealed will. So the same is true in the family. The same is true in the church. There are absolutely different roles for men and women in the home and in the church. And there's different areas of spiritual gifting but no one is ever above or superior or better because of it. You get that? Good. Some folks take this verse in Galatians way too far and imply that somehow Christianity just obliterates every distinction, but this is not true. When we become Christians, we do not cease to be... German or Spanish or Korean or Egyptian or bosses or employees, fathers or mothers, or boys and girls, for that matter. With regard to our physical and social identities, we continue to be God who God made us to be. Only now we are united in Christ as sons and daughters of our God and Father, the King, or some of our young people. What do you call a male child of the king? What do you call a female child of the king? Prince and princess, brothers and sisters in Christ, do you realize that your identity, according to the will of God, is to be a prince? Are a princess of the king. And nothing, nothing can change who God says that you are. I want to end uh, with an application here. And that's that there's a teaching suggests that even though all of humanity, spiritually speaking, are not brothers and sisters because we're not all adopted children. We don't know who's not adopted and is waiting that adoption. But there is something the Bible clearly teaches that's called the neighborhood of man. I am required to love each and every human being as much as I love myself. We fall under the weight of the demand of that law. Now, you may be thinking nobody loves anybody as much as somebody loves themselves, and nobody loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So why should we get so exercised about our neighbors? The point is this. That's the standard by which we will all be judged what's the first and greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbors as yourself. We can take no comfort from the fact that none of us keep this law perfectly. In fact, we should be terrified by the fact that God calls the summary of the law the great commandment. Now, using our god giving intellect and reason, the great transgression. If there's a great commandment, there's a great transgression. That would be the failure to love our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the failure to love our neighbor. That's the great transgression. That's why we're all exposed to the wrath of God. That's why... We need Jesus because we cannot be redeemed by the law. If we trust in the law, we'll be lost forever. It is only by Christ's righteousness imputed to our account, credited to us, because of what he did, not because of what we've done, because of what he has done for us on Calvary's tree, that we can stand in the presence of our heavenly Father. And stand in his presence, we will. If he is our God and Savior, our Father in heaven, and our King. You know, the world teaches a different message altogether. The world, the cosmos, the spirit of this age, Satan himself, the devil. What does the devil come to do? Three things. Kill, steal, and destroy he is the sower of doubt and confusion. He is a called the accuser of the brethren. The world will tell you, the devil will tell you, that you are not good enough. And I tell you, that's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. You are who God says that you are. You are a prince or a princess of the king an adopted child of God. And not because I say so, but because he has said so. Amen, shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to be able to come to you as a little child will crawl up into his father's lap we can come to your open arms because you have legally adopted us and you call us your own. We belong to you, body and soul, life and death because of our faithful savior, Jesus Christ. We just thank you, Lord, for our identity, for our image, and for that calling that you have placed on each and every one of our lives, according to your goodwill and purposes. Help us to be submissive to you and to all the relationships that you have placed us in. Help us to love you, yes, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and help us to love and serve our neighbor. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this church, and thank you for Joe and Dylan and the other leaderships, the leadership team here. And just ask that you continue to work in and through them, uh, strengthen your people here. Uh, We pray for those who are at home and ask your blessing down upon them as you renew their minds and transform them into the image of your one and only begotten Son. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.